Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. All right. How's everyone doing today? Good, 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 good. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, today I'd like to talk about weakness. <laughs> that was a clear 50-50 split of like, oh, excitement and uh, just a little straightening of the, the, the face there for some folks. Um, turn with me, if you would, to uh, 2 Corinthians. There's, um, it was interesting doing, uh, reading up on, on this subject, just kind of, sometimes I like to see what the general thought is about something that I'm wanting to talk about, you know, and so... Um, without really, really thinking about it, I just uh, typed into Google uh, the the virtue of weakness. That's what I typed in, and boy, there was a lot of angry articles about like how bad weakness is and how negative it is, and how like the word virtue and weakness are diametrically opposed to each other. Um, a lot of scriptures on that that were uh, interestingly misquoted, in my opinion. Um, but uh, it, it's interesting, like this this idea of weakness. You, you see it in scripture, right? Like like. This, this idea of meekness, humbleness, all these, all these different things. So I'm, I want to read the scripture too. So it's uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Now, this is a fun verse here. This is uh, the, um, the thorn in the flesh uh, part of scripture. How many of you have been in church for at least uh, 15 years or so? Raise your hands up. Okay, majority of you. You've probably heard some kind of message about the thorn in the flesh. I, I grew up in a church background that was a really uh, teaching-oriented church, really good at just dissecting the Bible and studying it, and I, I really enjoyed that, that foundation. And one thing I always like watching a theologian struggle over is like mysterious things that are not super clarified in the Bible, like watching like, like uh, one of my favorites is when um you know when Jesus uh, met the, uh, the the woman who was caught in adultery and you know she he was brought uh, she was brought before Jesus and then you know Jesus is about to say that that awesome line you know he who was out sin cast the first stone he pauses beforehand and writes something in the sand you know, you know that story. I've heard, seen so many theologians like struggle with dissecting what was written in the sand, and did he write this? Did he list their sins out before them? Did he, did he, you know, did he write, you know, all these different things? I'm like, it just doesn't say. I, th- I think maybe just wanted that to be a mystery, you know. And so this is another one of those things where I've seen a lot of good, uh, a lot of interesting anyway, uh, uh, speculations as to what the, the Paul's thorn in the flesh was. I heard one person say uh, it was a, maybe he had a wife and that was his thorn in the flesh. And I'm like, oh, so, someone had a bad week. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe... <laughs> You know, maybe it was some uh, sickness that he had. Maybe it was just people accusing him, which is, you know, may- maybe a, a little bit implied by, by some of the verses afterwards. But, I, you know, it just doesn't say. <laughs> and it's something that's a little bit mysterious. But so this is, um, uh, so this is uh, this part of scripture. Paul's just talking about, you know, boasting, building yourself up, throwing the flesh, this whole concept. So this is um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And, um, this is one of those uh, fun scriptures that can stretch your theology just a little bit. So uh, chapter 12, verse 7. So because of the extraordinary greatness of the revelations, he's talking about these you know, awesome things he's experiencing in God. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. That'll make your theology a little bit itchy there for a second. Um, 
verse 8. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that, I, that it might leave me. And he said, that, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in weakness, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You guys like that one? <laughs> Significantly fewer <laughs> yeses than I was expecting. It's an interesting one, right? It's, is it saying that... Uh, I should want all these bad things to happen to me. I should want all these difficulties. I should want all these challenges because it'll make me stronger. Is, is it saying that? I'm sorry, I've got you guys scared of answering. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving this open to interpretation as I see it presented here. So is, is it that I, um, even if there are things that I run into that are difficult, I should rejoice because no matter what difficulty I have, God will, God will show up and then be more than enough. Sounds good. That's a good answer. Sounds good. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I, 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 the more through the years that I've studied the Bible and read through it, the more I've been willing to try to figure out exactly what is being said in, in as like what is the one definite inter interpretation of the scripture. And the more I try to let what's being said wash over me again and again and see what rises to the surface as that happens. Does that, does that make sense? That's something that I like to do. And so this idea of what does it mean to be willing to be weak so that God's grace can show up in me, so that, so that, I, so that I can be strong in him. Well, as, as I was thinking about, I was thinking about this recently, and I, I had this experience when I was younger that I feel I, um, at least in part, encapsulated this idea. And so I've shared this story a lot, so if you've heard it, sorry for the repeat, but it's, um, it's one that I'm going to try to kind of uh, apply in a different context here. And so as kind of Mike alluded to a little bit, the, the prophetic ministry has been a big part of my life for a very, very long time. I uh, started going to a church that was really active about training people in the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, when I was, when I was 12. And uh, my mom actually dragged me into this, uh, our whole family, in fact, into this uh, prophetic class that the church was holding. And right away, it's something I took to very, very naturally. You know, I just, I just felt like, I, I feel like I could engage with this. I feel like I could understand this, this idea, having, having grown up in the church, this idea that God actually not, not only wanted to speak to me through his word, not only wanted to speak to me through a message on a Sunday, but actually personally, individually wanted to speak to me was, was to me the most, um, the most tangible uh, expression of his love that I had ever, exper ever experienced or thought of in my life. It, it, it made the gospel real to me, or at least to me personally. And so I, I loved it. I dove right in. I, I joined the prophetic team right away. I was, I was the youngest person probably by a decade on the, uh, on the prophetic team. And I'd go, and I, and I had a you know, natural knack for it. I, I was, it was easy for me to prophesy. People would be you know, impressed by the words that I gave. Um, we'll read some scriptures about pride here in just a second, so don't worry. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I enjoyed a lot. And in the particular design and culture of our church at that time, um, it was a little bit more... Um, restrictive is maybe too strong a word, but it was a little bit more specific around what, what uh, permissions you had around prophesying. Around here, you can, you know, we'll let you prophesy over one another. I'm not going to run over there and prophetic copy you, you know, and be like, stop right there. That was a... 
you're going a 45 mile an hour prophetic word in a 35 mile an hour zone. Please don't tell people directional correctional words. That is that is too fast. We're not doing that. Um, no, we're, we're you know we're uh, there's a lot more kind of kind of freedom. But here it was a little bit more. You know, at first when you'd go, you'd have to write down the prophetic word and show it to one of the leaders. It is not a bad idea. Make sure you're not saying something crazy. You know. Um, no one laughed at that. I'm surprised. <laughs> Okay, maybe you've had some experiences. Uh, yeah, the make sure you know, make sure you're saying something that was godly to to the person, and then uh, the, the, kind of this progression of growth. And the idea was, if you if you had been part of the prophetic ministry there for three years, you were considered like seasoned in in the prophetic, you know, which you know meant you were salty enough, I guess. Um, I know. Oof, the jokes are really really whiffing today. Let's move right along. Um, so I was had been in the prophetic ministry for three years. I was 15 years old. I had been in for three been in for three years. Was prophesying at our our group that we had every every Wednesday. I would prophesy over people on Sunday mornings. I was uh, part part of the team, and I was starting to feel a little bit more confident. I'm actually uh, you know I, I like to understand things and figure them out and get comfortable before I really feel confident in them. I'm not not really one of those people who you know feels confident in things before I've done them a few hundred times. And I um. But I was, you know, again, I'd been doing it for three years. I felt pretty confident. I felt, you know, maybe, gosh, I, I maybe even have a little bit of an understanding, a deeper understanding, an idea of what God's love looks like for people. And so when I was 15, I had this, this encounter that, that uh, adjusted my perspective. Um, I went on this missions trip with my, with my youth group. And uh, we went to, we uh, did a mission trip to Europe, went to did street ministry in Paris, and then we went uh, and helped support a youth ministry that was in England. And our, our youth pastor used to always like to put something kind of fun or more relaxing at the end of our trips. And so he had arranged for this big, there was this big youth conference that was happening uh, not too far out of London. And so we were going to be uh, attending that. Now, there were, there were so many kids coming to this youth conference that there wasn't enough room in the local town for, for all the kids that were there. So the, the, event was being held in this big cattle auction house. It was like a double-decker stadium seating kind of kind of situation and, you know, a bunch of live music and preaching and teaching and workshops and all that, all that stuff. And so because uh, there wasn't enough room in the hotels around, they had actually set up all of these tents in the fields that were around this area, and so that's where we were staying. So uh, flash forward to the last session, last night of the conference. We're going to be flying back the next day. And, uh, you know, we were all pretty tired. We had been on a, you know, a long trip, and we knew we were going to be, you know, flying home pretty early in the morning. And so for this session, we, we were staying in the back upper deck of the room, so we're way in the back corner. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm uh, listening to this guy preach. Now, as I, as I mentioned, I you know, grew up in church, and so as I'm listening to the, to the cadence, to the pentameter, to the style of story that this guy is telling, I can, I can tell that he's about to invite people up to the front to receive Jesus for the first time. You know, about to you know, offer, offer a salvation message and an altar call. And so, you know, I, I'd been saved since I was three years old and got saved at the post office. That's a separate story. Um, and I, uh, so I thought that the best thing for me to do, given that I was very tired from the long mission trip that I had just been on, that the best thing for me to do was to try to take a quick nap. Uh, so I folded my arms, I leaned back, I put my feet on the empty chair in front of me, and I just kind of laid back to, to relax. And for no particular reason, one more time, I opened my eyes and looked down at the stage. And when I looked down there for the first time in my entire life, I saw Jesus. 
which made me sit back up. The preacher was preaching on the stage. Jesus was standing in the margin between the stage and the chairs, and he was pacing back and forth, just like this. And there was a, there was a, a, a purposefulness and intentionality and almost an intensity to the way that he was walking. It wasn't, it wasn't anxious. It wasn't nervous, but there was a, a purposefulness to it. And I noticed that whenever he would turn around to walk back the other direction, his, he would turn his body in such a way that his gaze would remain fixed at a point somewhere at the back of the room. And so as I'm, again, just feeling the, the intensity, feeling the, the intentionality of what he's doing, I, I, uh, I follow his line of sight to this girl that's at the back of the room. Now, she's sitting at the front of where the, the stadium seating starts, and there's this divider there. And she has her head rested down on the stage, or on, the, on this divider like this. And the second that I see this girl, I hear a voice in the back of my mind say, he sees no one but her. And again, I can feel the, the, the heaviness, the intensity, the, the intensity, the intentionality in, in the way that he's walking, in the way that he's looking at her. So much so that it feels like every, every ounce, every, every bit of me, every one of my cells is, is focusing in on what's happening. To, 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 even to the point that I was almost getting tunnel vision, like, like the sound was dropping out just because it felt like everything was focusing on what I was seeing. And so it was distantly that I heard the preacher start to invite people up to the front to receive Jesus for the first time. But the second that I heard that, immediately my eyes snapped back to this girl. And I saw her just for the, the briefest of moments. She, she had her head rested down on the divider like this. And then just for a moment, she lifted her eyes and she peeked up. Now, I, I, I saw him move but it didn't take him any time to get there. He was, he was pacing at the front, and then he was standing right there in front of her. And, in that, and as he appeared there in front of her, she just kind of rested her head back down. And again, I can, just, I can feel the, the crescendo of the moment, the, 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 uh, the, the, just the, the heaviness of the presence of God filling the room, but not in this, this, in the, in this focused and driven sort of way. And so again, one more time, this girl, she, she lifts her head off of her arm and looks up. Now, as soon as she lifts her head the second time, I see these chains appear all around her. They're covering her completely from her neck to her ankles. Just, just, I couldn't even see any part of her. Just, it was, she was completely covered in these chains, and they went off in four long strands. And at the end of each strand was a, was a demon, and they, they kind of pulled and twisted the chains in such a way that it caused the girl to slump her head back down. But that, but that didn't matter. Because as soon as her head slumped back down, Jesus leaned forward and he kissed her on the forehead. And the second that he kissed her on the forehead, every single link in the chain exploded. Like, like firecrackers, just... And the, the, the demons that were pulling on the chains kind of flew back from the loss of tension. <laughs> they didn't make that sound. <laughs> and as the, as the last link in the chain broke, there was this bright flash of white light. And it was so uh, bright that it completely blinded me. I couldn't see, I couldn't see anything. 
my vision slowly faded back in when it when it did i couldn't see the stage i couldn't see the chairs i couldn't see anyone i looked down and i couldn't even see myself all i could see was jesus and the girl and the jesus was standing there with his with his arms open wide and the girl was standing in front of him and i know it's it's you know kind of a christian cliche but she was wearing these robes that were whiter than white the, the whitest thing I've ever seen before or since. And she, she leaned forward and she hugged Jesus around the waist. And when she did, I felt this sense of like heaviness from, from above me. And so I, I looked up. And when I, when I looked up, I saw this hand coming down. It was, it was big. You know, each, each finger was about as big around as a baseball bat. And this, this hand came down with its index finger extended. And it reached and it, it touched me on the forehead. And the second it touched me on the forehead, all of reality snapped back into place. All of a sudden, the, the, the stage, the stadium, the chairs, everything just reappeared. I found myself standing. I'm not entirely sure when that happened. But the, the return to reality was just so sudden that I stumbled backwards and fell into my chair, which is great because, as I mentioned, I was on the upper deck, and if I had stumbled forward, it would be a different style of testimony, I guess. <laughs> um, and so I'm sitting there for a moment, just feeling like a truck had run over me. Like, like I, I felt like all my circuits were fried. And I, I managed to kind of get my wits together and lean forward just in time to see the girl running up to the front to receive Jesus, uh, even though she already had. <laughs> and, and, you know, that was, I, I had never seen anything like that before in my life. And that, that was an amazing and powerful thing to see. But, but what what changed me and, and altered my understanding of what it meant to, to understand God's love and understand the kinds of thoughts that God has for his people, even though I was seasoned in, in the prophetic at this point in my life, was, was what happened right afterwards. And so I'm, I'm sitting there uh, really just unable to process what had just happened. I'm feeling a little bit shell-shocked, feeling, feeling overwhelmed, feeling kind of like I remember, even my, like my arms and legs felt weirdly numb, and all of a sudden, everyone around me stood up and started walking. And for a moment, I was confused why. And then suddenly, I realized, oh, it must have ended at some point. <laughs> um, and you know, I, I'm pretty good at getting lost in my own neighborhood in broad daylight. So I, I was not. <laughs> In fact, as a complete side note, I was uh, dropping Hayden off at a friend's house recently. A friend to whom I've brought uh, Hayden to this very house three or four times in the past. Ten times in the past. Thank you, April, my dear wife. Um, <laughs> and I spent 15 or 20 minutes driving around this neighborhood, unable to find where that house was. And then, you know, I had to call someone to get help. In fact, I had to call April, and I found it. So this is not just a pastor joke. This is a reality of my day-to-day -day life. Um, <laughs> the, so I, I wasn't entirely confident in my ability to find my way back to a tent that I'd been to two or three times. And so I stood up, and I looked around, and I, I saw one of the girls from, from our, my youth group. And so I looked at her, and I thought, okay, if I just kind of go in the same direction she's going, I'm not going to get too terribly lost. And so... I'm still just feeling, you know, I can't even walk quite right. I'm just, you know, just kind of trudging through this crowd of 3,000 kids who's all, who are all leaving this thing at the same time. And, I, you know, I'm just focusing on this girl. Now, I, I knew this girl. She was, she was one of the girls from, from my youth group. Uh, we weren't really close friends or anything. I didn't really know that much about her, her story. But as I, as I 
still had the, the, the heat of that experience from, from what I had just seen burning in my heart. And as I f- focused on this girl, all of a sudden, I saw everything that there was to know about her life. I saw every moment of joy, every moment of peace, every moment of fear, and every moment of pain. I saw them one after the other, pop, 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 pop. Not, not like a video, not like a montage in a movie. Like they were memories that I didn't know that I had that, that suddenly popped back up into, into my mind. They, they weren't just, again, just pictures. It was, like this, it was like suddenly remembering something that had happened to a close friend, to a, to a daughter, to a sister. And one after the other, pop, 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 pop. I saw every single one of these moments. And then I saw her entire future. I saw all the decisions that she was going to make. I saw all the decisions that she could make. I saw the perfect plan that the Lord had laid out for her life. Every opportunity, every, 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 um, every joy, every, everything that he had laid out for her. And I saw which parts of that she would choose and which parts of that she would not choose. And as I saw this all, it just swirled and congealed together into this overwhelming feeling of love. And it was, a, it was a thought, it was a feeling that was too big. I couldn't hold it in my mind all at once. I couldn't grasp it. I couldn't, I couldn't contain it. It's like, like trying to hold a basketball that's way too big for your hand. I couldn't, I couldn't grip it. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until, until it felt almost physically painful so much so that I had to tear myself away from looking at her and, and look away. But when I did, I saw another person walking next to me, a person whom I've never met before in my entire life. But as I looked at them, I saw everything that there was to know about their life. I saw every decision they'd ever made, every decision they would make. I saw the fullness of their potential and how far they were going to make it along that line of potential. And I fell completely and totally in love with this person that I had never met. So much so, so so intensely, so fully that I, I, I couldn't look at them anymore and again had to tear myself away from looking at them. But unfortunately, as I mentioned, I was in a very large crowd. And so I would turn this way and see this person, see everything there was to know about their life. Turn this way and see this person, see everything there was to know about their life. And I'm ping-ponging from person to person, unable to stop it, unable to slow it down. The rate at which it's getting to the point that it's overwhelming, happening faster and faster and faster. And, you know, again, it, it was this feeling of love, but it was not an idle thing. It wasn't just a warm feeling. I didn't, I, it was this feeling didn't want anything from the people, but it demanded to be expressed, to, to be shown, to be, to be revealed. I, I wanted to pray over them. I wanted to prophesy over them. I wanted to hug them. I wanted to kiss them. I wanted to pick them up and spin them around. I wanted to grab them by their face and scream how much God loved them. But anytime I thought of anything, to do and anything to do in response to that love it, it was so painfully and woefully inadequate compared to that love that I that I felt paralyzed and so finally I got a brilliant idea and looked straight at the ground I felt like a genius <laughs> So I'm walking through this crowd of 3,000 people. When I kid you not, someone's foot kicks out in front of me, and I see everything there is to know about their life. I see every decision they've ever made. I see the fullness of their potential. I see how far they're going to make it along that line of potential. And I fall completely and totally in love with this person before I even see their face. So finally, I, I made it back to my tent and fell down face first in my pillow. And, and thank God when I woke up the next day, it was, it was gone because I 
I don't know how I would have been able to function if that, if that kept happening. Bless you. You only get one, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm just being funny. Um, the, again, I was, I was 15 years old. I was, had been in the prophetic ministry for three years. I was seasoned in, in the prophetic. <laughs> and on that day, I realized that I had not even begun to scratch the surface of the magnitude of love that God has for every single person on this planet the, 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 the depth, the wholeness, the, the completeness, the, 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 um, the, 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 the severity, the intensity, the perpetualness, the, the, the absolute um, magnitude of his love. I don't have time to, to talk about it or talk to how over years and years and years this, this one experience continued to unfold and unpack layers and layers and layers of understanding, but uh, it's funny how sometimes in, when you're in God's presence, you can feel something in a moment that takes you years to understand. You ever have that experience? If not, I recommend it. <laughs> Keep hanging around in worship. It'll happen. Um, it's funny, you know, this is a side note, but we, we worry so much about doing enough, about uh, getting enough done for the Lord, accomplishing things, you know. People have given me feedback, like, wow, oh, why do you say that you saw someone's potential and how far they made it along that potential? That like, ah, oh, that feels like comparison. That feels like, you know, oh, it's not doing well enough. I'm like, it, it does if you don't feel that love that was present in it. <laughs> it, it. It does if you don't know what his response to that, to what, what, the way that love saw that. <laughs> I talked to the Lord about that experience for, for quite a while afterwards. And one of the things that he said that was a, a summarization was, I asked, hey, why did that happen? And he said, I wanted you to start seeing people the way that I do. And so, you know, God's, God's love and the expression of it has been one of my deepest values. It's been one of the things that I hope most to express. You know, I, uh, uh, you know, Michael m mentioned it for a minute there. I've written books and I travel and teach and do things like that. And I talk about singing the spirit and the prophetic and all these things. And although I like talking about those things, uh, if you've ever seen me do it, I'm secretly just figuring out how to get from whatever subject I've been invited to speak about to God's love. <laughs> and that's the only journey I care to make for the, for the most part. And so I, I love teaching. I love expressing. I love doing, I love still prophesying over people and just un, unveiling and unpacking God's love. And in the, so that, that was 20 years ago. And I've been, you know, again, trying to do, release that to the best of my capacity ever since. And always growing in that unfolding revelation of it, because again, it's an, it's an infinite thing. Um, now, I, I ran into this problem from time to time, consistently, but, but, but um, you know, not, not every day. But I'd run into this problem where I would look at someone, I would see how much God loved them. I would see the plans and purposes that God has, has set before them. I would see all the good things that God had put into their life. And I would tell them, I would tell them about the, these things that I saw. And the person wouldn't be encouraged. I thought, huh, that's weird. <laughs> Why are you not encouraged? This is great, you know. And I'm like, do you, do you not believe that this is true? And they would say, yeah, I, I, yeah, I do believe that. 
and I, I didn't know, you know, what, what to, yeah, this, is, this is frustrating. And, you know, and then sometime between 15 and now, I got married to this wonderful woman named April Healy, who's right here. Um, yes, thank you. You are right to cheer. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I noticed that sometimes in our, in our fantastic marriage, my, my wonderful, beautiful perspective from heaven that I, that I had, that I had fought for, that I had fought to protect, that I had fought to grow, was not the most helpful thing all the time. But how ever could that be? This is from heaven. This is from Jesus. This is the way God sees people. This is the way that God loves. How could this not be what you need right now? <laughs> <clears throat> Therefore, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in distresses and persecutions and difficulties in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If I'm being honest, uh, there, there were times that I would think, person that I'm encouraging, you're just, you're just so, you know, bummed out that you're just not receptive to encouragement right now. That's, that's so very sad, you know. And, and I wouldn't say it in that tone that I just did. I'm trying to be a little bit funny, but it's, you know, I would genuinely feel bad, like, oh, that, that's a bummer, you know. I, I wish, this, like, how do I transfer this? Why isn't this coming through? And I would think, I, it must be their perspective. It must be, they're believing a lie. It must be this. It must be that. It must be something, right? And Sometimes with, with me and April, I'm like, oh, maybe she just doesn't understand this thing that I'm trying to say. Maybe, maybe, maybe if she saw it this way, maybe if she saw it that way, maybe if I re-explained it this way and that way and this way and this other way too and this way also, it would then transfer. But oftentimes that wouldn't be, wouldn't be the case. And so then I started learning about this, this thing, and I'm, I'm still very much learning about it. Um, they, in psychology, they call it uh, attunement. Anyone ever heard that word before? Cool, a couple people. Um, uh, attunement is uh, the best way I can describe it, and some psychologist is probably going to email me and be very upset. But uh, so I, I apologize. Uh, but essentially, I would I would uh, explain attunement as empathy in action. That that I am I am showing you that I am with you. Now now to further under, uh, explain empathy. Anyone ever heard of empathy? Cool, that's, that's good. If not, we'll pray for you. The ministry team coming afterwards. Um, Empathy, em, empathy and sympathy. I, sometimes I find uh, understanding empathy is helpful by counter-measuring it with uh, sympathy. So if you imagine that you're in an emotional state because of a tragedy, because of a challenge, because of a frustration, whatever else, and you imagine that you being in that sad state, let's just say sad, is you sitting at the bottom of a well, I'm here in my sadness right now. Sympathy would be standing at the top of the well and saying, boy, it looks really sad down there. I would love for you to come up out of that well. You know, I would love for you to come on up, come on up here. It's so great up here. You should come up here. I'm, I am sorry. I'm, I'm genuinely showing care and, and compassion. But you should really, you know, come, come on up here. Empathy is I'm going to climb down in this well with you and sit down and just show my, my acceptance that you're here right now in this place with a hope that we can walk out of this well together, with a desire to move forward, but not requiring that or, or needing that at that point. Instead, just being right here, right now, with you in this place. Does that give a little bit of a picture? So attunement is the action of, of doing that. And 
you know, at first I found this concept offensive, um, if I'm being honest. Not empathy, that's a great thing. That sounds great. I like that. Sympathy, you know, I can see how that could be a little bit demeaning. Like, oh, I'm up here so feeling so great. Why aren't you feeling so great? You know, that kind of feeling. But I thought, oh, you know, what if someone's believing a lie? What if someone, you know, doesn't believe that God's love, God loves them? I see this beautiful vision as a beautiful, articulate expression of that love, but they still don't feel it. I thought, ah, I, I feel like I'm agreeing with a lie if I, like, meet you where you're at in this state, you know? And maybe, maybe you're different than me, or maybe you're a more naturally em- empathetic person, but that's, that was something I was genuinely struggle, struggling with. And I would kind of go back and forth and, and end up doing a lot of just um, uh, self, self-work and trying to understand what this empathy, what this attunement thing does and what it actually means. And I was struggling back and forth with, like, how do you reconcile this with the truth of the gospel, with the truth of what God's doing, the, the truth that all things work together for the good? Like, how can I be sad about something that hasn't happened if, if you know, if it, if it all works out together for the good, right? I shouldn't have negative emotions. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, the Lord uh, took me to this scripture, and I'm not going to read the whole story right now. It's a familiar one. Lazarus, remember this? Remember this fellow? He died. <laughs> he died, and Jesus was not in as much of a hurry to get to him as some people around him might have might have wished. He gets there, you know. Uh, his, uh, Mary and Martha come out. First, Martha comes out and says, "You know, how if only you'd been here, you know, he he would have been he would have been healed. I know that." And you know, he says, "Hey, watch watch what I'm gonna do." Mary comes out later. Oh, if only you'd been here. Hey, watch what I'll do. He walks in there. He sees Mary and the others mourning. He sees all all of Lazarus's friends mourning. We know the scripture is the shortest one in the Bible. Jesus wept. If you look that original language up, uh, if you were to really modernize that a bunch, that would be ugly cry. <laughs> that would be that would not be like a little polite, you know, reverence. That would not be like I'm I'm being polite at at this funeral kind of thing. This this would be like he was heaving with sadness. He he was he was um, he was visibly, you know, again uh, uh, showing these signs of sadness. And again, this is another one of those fantastic, fantastic scriptures we talked about before where everyone tries to unpack the mystery of why Jesus wept. And, you know, I heard a pastor once say, oh, he was just so disturbed by the lack of faith in the people around him that he wept. I'm like, that's good old compassionate Jesus for you. Just looking down on everybody. <laughs> and, and so this, this, again, is just another interpretation, not necessarily the right one, but I suddenly had this realization that every single miracle that Jesus performed happened a little bit differently. Sometimes he adv- advocated the faith of the other person. Sometimes he, he, he you know, celebrated someone, someone's just knowledge of how the kingdom works, like he did with the centurion. You know? some, some, sometimes he did something strange, like you know, spat on the ground and made mud and did all this. Sometimes he just sent someone away and they got healed on the way back to have the priest check them out. It was, it was a little bit different every time. And suddenly it occurred to me, what if this mir- part of this miracle happening was him attuning with what was happening in that moment? That even though Jesus knew the outcome, he in fact predicted the outcome to his disciples before he came, 
that even if all things worked out together for the good, he was still able to be present and lean in and get in the well with people who were very sad at a tragedy that had happened. That if even that was part of the miracle coming true. Again, it doesn't necessarily explicitly say that. But it is how the miracle happened. Or at least part of how the miracle happened. And then all of a sudden, I just felt this thing smack me in the face of why should I think that the idea of getting down in the well with someone as being wrong or advocating uh, wrong thinking or whatever else, when God climbed down the longest well that there is, <laughs> became a, a, a man, sent his, sent his son to fully become man, to be as in the well as possible, <laughs> to live a life, to live through every temptation any of us have had ever experienced, to walk among people, that is a long well <laughs> to walk down. And yes, from that position, give the ultimate way out of that well, which, is, which was the, the sacrifice that he made, that, which was becoming the ultimate sacrifice, which is releasing his grace. And I realized in that moment, and this, this wasn't just one moment, this is a series of moments over a period of time, that though I have had numerous revelations and experiences with the beauty and magnitude of God's love, that I was still weak in my understanding of how he releases it to us. And that in my, my thinking that I was strong in something, that I actually had developed an inadequate picture of what the expression of his love looks like on the earth. That I had thought, I had suddenly, in some situations, not intentionally, not on purpose, not because I was being that negative version of sympathetic where I'm thinking I'm better than everyone else, but thinking that just because I have this revelation or I'm seeing how much God's love is present with you, that you should just receive it like that and that I shouldn't need to get down and meet you where you're at and offer validation and connection and presence in the moment that you're in right now. And, and the amazing thing has been I'm still just a toddler in this, but I have watched God's love be released into people's lives in situations that I have not seen it before. Does that make sense? Just to get nerdy for one second, uh, you ever heard that that phrase that psychologists say of like you need to hear seven or five or seven positive things uh, to cover up one good thing that you've had? That's something like that. Yeah, it's based on this uh, studies of the brain that actually to to create a pathway that that expects a positive outcome, you need to experience that positive outcome five time five to seven times. Whereas with a negative one, you're more likely to expect that negative outcome going in the future. The amazing thing they've found is, is that when people will attune with one another, get in the well, show empathy, show that I am here with you, it, it actually only takes one good word, kind word, from that place to carve a pathway, physically carve a pathway in your brain, make a connection that lasts where you expect good. It's pretty neat. I want you to, real quick, um, if you can, flip over to Matthew 5.
being willing to recognize that I, I need, uh, being willing to be weak makes room for God's grace to show up in my life. Even when it comes to the things of God, it's so easy for us to look at someone in any given situation and say, well, man, if they only dot, dot, dot. Man, I wish they would just dot, dot, dot. You know, well, anyone ever done that? Anyone ever thought that about somebody else? I have. Man, I wish they would just dot, dot, dot. Man, if only they would dot, dot, dot. If they would just dot, dot, dot these three things, then this. If they would just read their Bible, if they would just pray more, if they would just spend more time, whatever it is, whatever good, good, godly, beautiful thing it is, we start to make it about our strength and our effort when we do that. Because if they would only just... Watch out, they're coming. <laughs> I don't have much time. Um, <laughs> five of those are mine. <laughs> All right, real quick, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes. Again, we can, we can kind of slide over these things or, or recognize them for the opportunity they are. <laughs> Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is the one thing we talk about going after here more than anything else? It is heaven on earth. It is God's kingdom on earth. If we want that, we need to be poor in spirit. We need to be weak spiritually. Not strong, not necessarily confident, Confident in him and who he is, not confident in us having the right revelation, having the right idea, having the best version of Christianity, having all the right this, that, and the other thing. If we want the kingdom, we need to be poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Got to be willing to be sad. Got to be willing to engage in being sad about things, of experiencing negative emotion. Blessed are the gentle, some say, some translations say humble or the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Oh man, we want heaven to come to earth. We might need to be poor in spirit and humble, slash meek, slash gentle. <laughs> that is not about, it doesn't say blessed are the confident, blessed are the assured, Confidence and assuredness and, and belief are all very good things. They're, they're essential parts of, of our relationship with God. But if we want to give the kingdom to other people, we have to do it humbly. Or, or we are in the, our approach uh, making it difficult for people to receive the kingdom on the earth. I've, uh, and this can sound like pride, but it's not, but I, I've, I've had moments where I walk up to someone to minister to them and they're dealing with this, this, and this. And I can see it. I don't have the answer, but I can see heaven's answer right there. It is present. It is sitting right next to them in their life. And I can tell them what it is. And they don't get it, don't receive it, don't believe whatever it is. And I can get all proud about that or I get all upset about that or I can look down about them about that. But if I cannot attune and connect just as a person, then I am actually part of them not being able to receive that part of heaven. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I want to seek after good things. I want to seek after the right things happening. I don't want to see my enemies fail. I want to see righteousness. I want to see good things happen. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Same kind of thing. I want to be merciful with people around me. I want to give credit. I want to give a chance. I want to give mercy. I don't want to look at how bad people are doing and be disappointed. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I don't want to expect everyone around me to have a bad motive. I don't want to expect everyone around me to, to I don't want to grow cynical because I won't see God. I won't see God doing things around me. But what if I get tricked? What if I get deceived? What if I get fooled? Cynicism is not the answer. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Am I making peace or am I making war? Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. People might not always appreciate what I'm bringing, and that's okay. If I'm making sure to follow these other tenets, if I'm not being proud, if I'm not being a, being a dissenter, if I'm being a peacemaker, if I'm being all these things, hey, people still might, might not receive what I'm saying, and that's okay. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in this same way, the persecuted the, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If we want to see God's kingdom come to earth, then learning to be okay with weakness and recognize weakness and recognize that even if we have great strength, great revelation, a lot of learning in a particular area, that we're still in desperate need of God's grace. If we want to grow as parents, we need to recognize that we cannot parent well enough to make our children not need a savior. If we want to be good leaders in a church, we cannot, we, we have to accept the reality that we cannot make a church culture that's good enough that people won't need a savior. No matter what situation we are in, we, we cannot create by our own effort a situation where we are not in desperate need of God's grace. And areas of our life where we have not learned how to rely on that desperately, how to follow that desperately, how to look for that desperately, are probably areas where we might want to take a little bit more scrutiny and see, am, am, I, am I walking in pride? Am I walking in thinking that I got this? Because again, it is in weakness that he shows up with grace. Again, the Bible, there's bunch of other scriptures. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's, that's a strong statement right there. That is, I am intentionally in your way or I am giving you the fuel to go. Those are, those are important opposites. And we have to remember these things if we want to see the kingdom on the earth. And I'm, I'm saying this as a person who has failed over and over and over again who has gotten proud, who has thought I've known something, who has thought uh, because of experiences, because of revelations, because of genuinely good godly things that I have in my, in my history, that I knew something. And I do know something. But I need to recognize that that is in a greater and more powerful context, one that can only fit in the hands of the king of all kings. Uh, stand up with me real quick if you would.
going to pray quickly because I think that, that shout from the kids was just a warning. <laughs> if you would, just put your hands out in front of you. Again, if you're new here, that might be silly. Why, why are you telling me to put my hands places? It's weird. It, it, it's, again, it's just a simple physical action to, to align our head with our heart, with our body. But we're just in this space right now. Lord, we want to we stand before you in humility. We want you to look at us and see if there's any wicked way in us. We want to detach our performance from our identity so that we can hear what you have to say about where we need to grow. That we won't receive your correction as us being uh, bad people or unworthy or, or, or whatever else. That the only reason that we're worthy is because of your, cho- your choice. You're choosing us. You're deciding that you want us. Lord, we just ask that you will make our hearts humble, that you will, that you will show us where we need to grow, where, where we need to recognize our weakness so that we can receive grace. Lord, we, we repent for trying to do things out of, our, out of our competence, out of our ability, out of our talents, out of, even out of our God-given giftings. And and we recognize that even though you have given us those giftings, you have given us that intelligence, you have given us those talents, that they do not function the way that they are intended to apart from your grace. That that we have no fuel in our engine without you showing up with it. So Lord, we ask you to show us. We want to become a student of your love so that we can not only see it, not only recognize it, not only understand it, and not only grow in that more every day, but also not be a stumbling block in releasing that to other people, but be a, a, a pure vessel through which grace flows into the earth. I just ask as we go through our day today that we would have the ability to recognize places where grace doesn't flow out of us, where even though we know it's an area where it's flowing in, we don't see it flowing out. Relationships where we don't see it flowing out. Thought patterns where we don't see it flowing out. And again, I just release that grace to not attach those, those inadequacies, those deficits to our identity and recognize that this is just a natural part of growing in the kingdom of God. We just position our hearts that way today, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.